0: What's the best place, in your opinion, to open a pest control business?
1: Am I thinking about it from an endgame perspective? Where's a better place to be from being acquired? Or here's how I look at it. Anytime you talk to somebody that's outside of the industry, they always say, why would you ever open up a business in New York or Michigan or Illinois or Maine or any of these states? Because all the bugs are in the South, right? I mean, that's what people think. Clearly, there are more pest pressure there How I tend to look at business is really from a competitive dynamics perspective, and I think the things that you guys deal with up in Mid Atlantic and New England and you know Minnesota and Wisconsin, I think that bodes very well for an operator because number one, seasonality really kills a lot of weaker players. These guys can't make seasonality work. It's expensive, right? You got wild swings in cash flow. For the most part, until the northern states run everyone out of town. From an income distribution perspective, you tend to have a lot more people that can afford these types of services, both on the commercial and residential side. Although that's starting to change, but there's just less competition in cooler markets. And for me, I like less competition. Hell, go to Florida, and there's a pest control company on every single corner. Right? Everyone's slit each other's throat, shaving a buck off here, a buck off there. Next thing you know, everyone's giving hand jobs in the alley for you know twenty-five to the cheeseburger. I mean, so. I tend to look at it from a competitive perspective. When you look at the state of New York, for example, I think the island's an interesting area out in Long Island. I think that there's the larger players really have struggled over the years to get um, operations really off the ground there. You know, Orkin's always had a presence, but Renekill's really weak there. anti semex is weak there. Terminox, I'm not sure what the hell they're doing out there. So I, I like Long Island. I think that's interesting. I like a lot of upstate New York markets. For example, if you get into like a Utica or a, you know, one of these types of tertiary cities where there's not a lot of competition, you can have a lot of market share. You guys are in a tough market in New York City, you got a lot of competition. And so you guys are, you know, not only fighting with the customer, but you're fighting with you know, competitors there. So, I don't know if there's one when I think about the United States if there's one particular geography that I would think about being better than another. But I really do look at, for me, it's like, hey, do you want to be on the commercial, the residential, or do you want to be in a mixed business? And what makes better sense? I have long said, and you guys have probably heard me say this, that secondary and tertiary cities are sometimes better from a competition standpoint. Northern markets, in my opinion, are, are better. You get higher pricing, seasonality is a barrier to entry. And there's less, when you exit, there are less potential targets in New York and Maine and Massachusetts, and then there are you go down to South Carolina, Georgia, Florida. Yeah. There's a ton of companies to buy down there.
0: To speak about Long Island, the number one mosquito Joe is in Nassau County. Yeah. So I'm you, surprised. you think about all these other warm states that are warm year round.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and I think in pest control, I think the 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 fallacy is following the pests. The right way to do it is follow the people and institutions that have money and desire to pay for the service, right? I mean, shit, I spent a lot of time going to places like Nigeria. You want to talk about pests? There's a ton. You go to the city of Lagos, there's a ton of pests there. One of the biggest pest control companies in Lagos, Nigeria, makes 300,000 US dollars per year. They got like 200 employees. Just think about that. So ton of pests there in Lagos, not a lot of money to pay for it.
0: Yeah.
2: Just
1: follow follow the money.
0: Yeah, like with everything else, follow the money, right? Even for the criminals. Yeah,
2: that's right. (laughs) Willie Sutton robbed banks because that's where the money was. Right.
0: It doesn't Um, get any simpler than that, right? So we speak about selling and everything like that and multiples back to where they were. Do you think it's a good time to sell?
1: That's always kind of one of those arbitrary personal decisions that everyone's got to make. I think... Transaction multiples are kind of where they were in '19. So the last two years, they've really been at a zenith. They're going to continue there. I mean, the question becomes, unless something crazy, crazier happens, I should say, I don't know that we're in any sort of immediate threat of that stuff falling apart. I think the biggest issue that older sellers have have to really think through is maybe not so much valuations, but more so taxes. I mean, if you think about it. You guys are in New York, right? And let's say that, you know, the government decides to go after the the greedy businessman, the enemy to all things good, right? And you guys should be paying short-term capital gains tax rates as opposed to long-term on the sell of your business. So now you've got basically state and federal, but long-term capital gains go north of 45%, right? And then by the time you allocate purchase price, if you guys took your business under that regime and sold it, you're talking about 50% of your purchase price would go to some sort of a government institution. That, in my opinion, is a big threat. And I don't think it's on the immediate horizon, but I think there's dark clouds there that people have to think about this. And I think it's a warning to everyone to say, okay, it didn't happen in 2020. It probably won't happen in 2021. It's gonna happen, so let me make sure that I talk to a sophisticated tax advisor, get my ducks in a row. Let me think about valuation. Let me think about that plan. This is a nice warning shot for people because things are changing. Trump's out; it's a different environment. But you know, the problem that I have with the United States, unlike a lot of other countries, is you know, the U.S. is built this massive kind of super state based in DC and the majority of taxes are federal. They're not local taxes. It's not like when you go to Switzerland and you've got the highest federal tax rate is 12%. What's it?
2: The highest federal tax rate in
1: Switzerland,
2: 12%. It's nice. How do they do that? In Switzerland, the highest tax rate is 12%. How do, they do the country on 12%? Oh,
1: well, they're not profligate spenders like the United States. They're not policemen of the world. They have 12% federal tax. Most of the taxation in the 26 cantons is at a a local level. So Geneva has relatively high taxation versus Duke, which has very low tax. And look, you guys are in New York, you can move to Florida and you can escape New York taxes. If you move from Pennsylvania where state taxes are like 3% and go to Florida, you don't save a lot. You might be paying a marginal tax of 37% to the federal government. In Switzerland though, you're paying 12%, but you can go from like Geneva's 20% additional taxes down to Zug and pay 5%. So there's tax competition. It's similar to how the U.S. was under the Articles of Confederation, where all the states were effectively sovereign states and had their own taxing body. And now it's all been consolidated into a, a super state in D.C. And there's really no escape for Americans. I mean, it's, just, it's getting to the point where everything's run out of D.C., and you can't do things like people in most other countries in the world. I mean, most others, citizens of most other countries, all but you're richer in the United States, can move to another country and not be taxed. If you're Canadian, right, you can move to Spain. I don't know if you'd want to do that, but if you, if you did, you would no longer be taxed by the Canadians. You, you guys move from New York and you move to Spain. You, you're dealing with U.S. taxation, Spanish taxation. It's very complicated and yeah. very expensive. And it's unfortunate because... I always giggle when folks talk about Americans being, you know, U.S. being the land of the free. You know, that propaganda continues to work, at least in the United States. But I think if you go outside of the United States and you look back, you start to feel bad for Americans because they don't have nearly as much financial freedom as they believe they do, especially in juxtaposition to a lot of other people around the world. And, you know, and standards of living over the world are, are I, I spent a lot of time in Malaysia. I mean, people are printing money there. The quality of living is increasing at a dramatic pace. And it's very different. I spent a lot of time in countries all over the world every year, and always there's like absolute comparisons. I think people in the United States like to make absolute comparisons to other countries, but I make comparisons on trajectory. Which way is it? A country that might have less freedom and liberty than an average American does, but is moving rapidly into freedom financial freedom and liberty is more euphoric and feels better than I feel like in the United States where things are moving the other way around. An absolute level, there might be more freedom, but it's definitely, without a doubt, going the other way, which I think gives a lot of people, business people get up in the morning and they just say, shit, it is hard to run a business in the United States now because every one of these laws is set up to protect losers, just complete worthless scumbags the people that are going to take advantage of you, the people that want to go work every day. That's what the laws are to protect. And it gets harder and harder and harder to run a business in the United States where I don't know. So Ed, I know I'm, I'm probably preaching to the choir over there and Joe, I'm sorry to get your old man off track.
0: No, look, it's fine. I think it's true. I will tell you I'm 44 years old. And for the first time in my life, I'm not saying I'm going to live here for the rest of my life. And that's a big statement because I was always like, why are we gonna leave New York, the best place to live? That's not, not true anymore.
2: You know, I, I remember back in the 70s when New York was uh, going bankrupt. I think people were leaving and it, it took, it, it literally took like a 20 year turnaround to get back to people wanted to come to the city and then, you know, in the near 10 years ago, this was the place to be. Everybody's coming, everybody loved Brooklyn. I was walking yeah. down Flatbush Avenue, what, two years ago? We just did something on a big account. And I looked and I said, I remember coming down here. And the highest building was this bank building that was maybe 25, 30 stories. Now, on the size of a postage stamp, they got these apartment buildings, mixed use buildings. And yeah. they're like 60, 70 stories high. I said, the yeah. reason for that was the property values you got so much in Manhattan. With I don't know, you know, I'm from, you get your first apartment, it was $120 a month, pre-war, a lot of space. Now, you know, yep. kids today, oh, yeah, I got a deal, $1,800, it's a studio. That's but, cheap. Yeah. So, for a guy in my time period it just seems, wow.
0: I was speaking to a friend of mine who does accounting, just end of the year stuff. He goes and works at a firm aside money. We're talking about savings. Him and I talk about the stock market often and saving money. And he was like, these Google, Amazon employees making nobody makes less than two ten, and mm-hmm. they all have no money. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem too. How are you making two hundred and ten thousand even in New York, and you're this educated and you and you're that broke? And I think it's the consumerism is probably the best way to put it is partially what's doing it too. So they're making enough money. They don't own homes. They rent for six, seven, ten thousand $10,000 a month. Yep. And they don't have anything. So last time we spoke, we spoke about the stock market and it hasn't done what everybody thought it was going to do if Biden got elected. Mm-hmm. Everybody thought immediately it was just going to take a nosedive. What, what are your thoughts? So, I remember you pulled out of the stock market in April and you were just sitting back and relaxing.
1: Oh yeah, I'm out, I've been out. And yeah, I mean, look, I think the only thing that, I think everyone was scared of this whole blue wave, right? So that didn't happen. So I think everyone looks and says a Biden presidency with a, you know, a divided Congress is pretty benign. Yeah, you know, the other thing is, I think the last time we chatted, the US government had not gone into debt the tune of an initial three trillion dollars which they did over the summer so that's a ton of ton of money going into markets we'll see what happens over the next few months at the end of the day i I am very apolitical i don't vote in the united states and haven't been around for a long long time to do so but you know joe biden is officially not the president-elect until the electors go to dc and cast their ballots right so we're still in that phase where he's just not president-elect yet and it'll be interesting to see how the, how the Trump administration continues to deal with this. There could be a lot of uncertainty, guys. Like, I mean, think about it. If Biden really is elected and Trump refuses to acknowledge that, you can see. It could be a very interesting January. So maybe January 1, like you said, Ed, maybe, shit, January 1 will issue in a more and more interesting year. So we'll see.
2: No, you know, and I think with, with the Biden presidency, would you never know for the first two or three months when they've actually got that power, it, that's when I get a firm idea, like, where are we going? Where, where, where could we be going? Where does it look like we're going? Like everybody's happy. Every, a lot of people are happy he got elected. A lot of people are not. But there's, there's that holding back. And I think if Trump doesn't concede the way life is now, you don't know where the hell you're going now. You got this guy, that guy. I don't know. It's very con- very confusing. Whatever it is, it's confusing. So my theory is keep your head down, do the best job you can, and keep working.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. That's why I don't pay attention to politics at all, because it's just it, its a total waste of time. I'm all about getting down to business and making money. That's what I focus on.
2: I have more leisure time than you. <laughs> <laughs> and I stopped listening to news in the morning, and sometime around April, my shows became... The Three Stooges, Andy and Mayberry, and uh, I forget the other one. But there was three. I said, you know, these are on in the morning. These make more sense to me than this guy's shit, that guy's shit. Yeah. Just, it only takes so much. It's
0: tough, but like you said, you just don't pay too much attention to politics. It's it's hard not to, certainly, this year. When the second time when Obama got elected, (laughs) we went out, bless you, we went out to... (coughs) dinner with my friend who was in finance retired before he was 40 god bless him and he told my father i don't vote and his reasoning was beautiful he was like i just wait see who wins what their their policies are going to be and i figure out how to make money with them and i think for business people that's kind of It's kind of how you got to operate. If you really believe in something, there's no problem with voting. But at the end of the day, certainly in New York, the presidency minimally affects us as far as all the other bullshit that we deal with locally. That's my thought processes. We get some stuff like with Obama, I got tax credits because we offered things as a small business that we didn't have to. So I got tax breaks. We got some tax breaks with Trump, but then Trump also hurt businesses by eliminating the uh, entertainment piece. Mm-hmm. Also, yep. Trump, who's a businessman, what the hell did he do, do that for? But it happened, and then you just maneuver and operate according to the new set of rules every four to eight years. Yep. So if you had to pick a stock now, would you? To buy? I shouldn't
1: say that I'm entirely not out of the market, but I don't own any equities now. I am fully looking at commodities because I expect there to be some inflationary pressure in the near future so for example i just last week i just started to build a long position in natural gas it's kind of trading at a five six year low and i feel like that will increase dramatically with inflationary pressure so me i buy some nickel i got some copper futures so i'm really kind of more of a commodity guy i've always been a commodities guy commodities tend to trend as opposed to bounce around like stocks do. So I can amass positions over time and commodities that I think are going to do well. I mean earlier this year I bought, you know, cattle futures and corn, soy, those types of things. So I'm looking at the the I'm looking at the increasing inflation trade and where I need to be for that. And so short bonds, long commodities.
0: One last question. What do you 17. think about bitcoin and the bitcoin ripple
1: yeah so you know i may offend some of your listeners this is just a purely personal perspective i don't really have an opinion on what other folks do i am personally not i don't own a single cryptocurrency it's not that i don't think they ultimately will have their place it's just i i really try to focus on areas that i know about and i felt like if i bought cryptocurrency i'd be gambling so It's interesting to me, and I think in a lot of ways, cryptocurrency will become more and more important. But I mean, you know, I was talking to my wife about cryptocurrency last year, she's like, you ever thought about buying cryptocurrency? And I'm like, there's thousands of them. Which one would I even buy? How would I even know the difference? So I know a lot of folks that are really bullish on cryptocurrencies. For me, at the end of the day, I look back. I, I tend to look back over long periods of history and say, what has performed Gold has always been money. Commodities are something we as humans need. We need iron, we need nickel, we need copper, we need soy, we, we need these things. So I tend to buy these things when they're out of favor and sell them when they're, they're heavily in favor. And it's a very simple, very non-complicated process, but that's what I do and that's what's worked for me. I'm not a day trader sitting in there in and out of equities. Surprisingly, because I work in effectively the equity market, I am not a stock. I'm not a big stock guy. So uh, Joe, that's the answer to your, your question. Are you a crypto guy?
0: I bought crypto. I got very lucky. I bought a Bitcoin ETF. And mm-hmm. it's I, I made my money back. I took 20% mm-hmm. and left it to ride. And it's, it's riding out pretty well. I'm not going in and dropping six figures on a stock. I'm yep. I'm dropping money that I know if I lose it, it will not affect my life. My two biggest stocks are probably Apple, that I bought at $20 and just never let it go. Mm -hmm. Um, And Bitcoin, that I took a gamble on early on and have paid off. Other ones I did the same thing with that I lost, but I lost a couple of grand, nothing major. my own
2: case, I had a great brainstorm, 1992. I started putting money into these uh, healthcare funds. And over over time, as you, I'm going to say, get more experience, not, yeah, get older. Everybody's getting older. I started to put it into dividend paying stocks like uh, Altria, Verizon, stuff like that, but still carry a, a bit in the healthcare. Uh, some of the money I just turned over to a money manager at Merrill Lynch.
1: Great talking to you guys as always. Keep uh, the cake, yeah. brother. Thanks for having me on.
2: So listen,
0: once again, everybody, Joey Buns, Colleen Confidential. I'm here with Mr. America Ed Sheehan. We want to thank Paul Giannamore from the Potomac Group for coming on. Always a great time. Make sure you download and listen to the Boardroom Buzz. It is what we've covered with Paul on steroids on a regular basis.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me, boys.
0: And Enjoy the weather down there. I'm a little jealous. All right,
2: Mr. and Mr. America, all the ships at sea, Ed she for Conley Confidential. You've been listening to Paul Giannamori today. Some good advice. Mr. and Mr. Merck, all the ships at sea. Until we meet again, stay safe and God bless you.
1: All right, boys. Take care. Thank you, Paul. Bye-bye, guys. Bye.